0: At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Last Sunday, I had the great privilege of being downstairs with a number of our middle schoolers and fifth graders in a couple of different projects, and our student pastor, Jonathan Holmes, was, was here with you, and I know you were encouraged by his message as he guided us into God's Word. I certainly was encouraged as I had an opportunity to listen to that message later, but Jonathan being with us, he carried on a series that we began back at the beginning of May, end of April, on the church. And inside of this series over the last number of weeks, we have talked about the creation of the church, how people who are very different are united under the person of Jesus Christ in this era. And we, we, we saw how that was a mystery, something not spoken about in the Old Testament, but something that exists now, this, this era of time, 2,000 years and counting, where people are connected in one body to Christ, uh, waiting for a second coming. Of Christ. And so we have that mystery that we saw a few weeks ago. And then last week, Jonathan guided us into a discussion of the community of the church. Specifically, what is the church known for in the way that we care others, that we are a, a people and not a place? We saw that last Sunday as he looked at Acts 2 with us together. Well, today we're going to continue this series and wrap it up actually by talking about the leadership. Of the church, And as we talk about the leadership of the church, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16 together. But before we look at Ephesians 4, I, I want to reflect for a moment with you about a very important day in my family's life, and that was March the 11th, 2007. See, it was on March the 11th, 2007 that Kimberly and I's son, Joshua, was born, and Josh came early. Uh, he was born at, at 31 weeks, premature. And so when he was born, he was born at three pounds. So you can just imagine this three pound baby. You see a picture of him there. And a child that small can't go immediately home from the hospital. And so he spent the first month or so of his life in the NICU up at uh, Children's Hospital in Oklahoma City. But one of the things that astounded me then and, and still does now is just that. Inside of that three-pound person is is everything. And it doesn't stay at three pounds, right? He starts out so small, but he gets bigger, right? And he's still growing. I mean, there's a picture of him just this last week as he's wrapping up sixth grade. And I I look at the progress from three pounds to today's pounds. we'll, We'll just generically call it that. But we see that progression and that growth. And that progression and that growth was something that was just innate within him. God built him to grow. He created him in in such a way that there was the potential and the ability, and given the right environment, would, would grow and mature from three pounds to where he is now and beyond. So thankful that that's the way the Lord made him. But, you know, when I think about that, it doesn't make me any less thankful for the doctors and the nurses at the NICU at OU. It just helps me understand what their role was, Their role was not to make him grow. God takes care of that. God built that inside of him. Their role was to tend the environment that made growth possible. And friends, we we know that. Many of you in this room are parents. You know that same experience with your child. They may not have spent time in the NICU, but you walk home from the hospital with that little eight, nine, ten-pound bundle of joy, and guess what? It grows. It grows. Because you tend to an environment and that child grows and matures and develops. It's just the way that God created the child. It was created to grow. Now, friends, I tell you that story not just because I wanted to throw a picture of my son up there. That was part of it. But the rest of the reason why uh, I do that is because I, when I think of my son and the growth that God placed inside of him and developed over time, I see a similar pattern inside of the church. See, when we think about the church, we think about this this entity, this body that Jesus creates and is building, and inside of the church is the potential and the expectation of growth. Growth numerically, that it would grow from just a few followers on a hillside to millions of people, and not just in one era, but in generations across thousands of years, we've seen the church grow numerically. But I, I think that when we look at Ephesians 4, we, we see more than just the growth of the church numerically. Specifically in Ephesians 4, the verses we're going to look at in just a moment, we see the growth and the development and the maturing spiritually of the church, that we would grow in our expression of Christ's likeness and our relationship with Him. See, God has has placed that inside of each of us, and He's placed that inside of us collectively, this potential and expectation of growth. And then God places us inside of the environment of the church where leaders and gifted people similar to doctors and nurses are merely tending the environment so that the growth that God has implanted inside of us might happen over time. Friends, we're going to look at that revealed today in Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible, flip over to Ephesians 4, verses 7 to 16. Ephesians 4 begins with this beautiful expression of unity in the body of Christ. and inviting all of us to live a, a life worthy of the manner of our, our calling. We, we, we see that at the beginning of chapter 4, but he continues and ramps it up in verses 7 to 16, talking about the growth that is expected and how God facilitates that inside of the church. I want to read these verses for us, then we'll back up and look at them more in depth. the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Friends, in these verses today, I want us to see a couple of things about the nature of the growth that God has built into us, and then also how He tends that growth through leadership inside of the church. Well, the first thing that I think we need to see inside of this is this principle that we are to grow in Christ. Now, we see this in the second. Half of the verses that I read, beginning in verse 12, and when we just allow our eyes to scan back over those verses I just read, we see again and again this call and this expectation of growth for each of us. Look at what it, what it says here. It talks in verse 12 about building up, kind of the idea of a building that is growing in size and, and structure. It's applied to the church. There's this idea that we are being built up. There's the the idea that we are maturing to the fullness of the stature of Christ. Again, it's growth language, maturing language, that we're no longer children, verse 14 says. Again, maturing language, that we don't stay young, but that we grow and that we develop. Verse 15 talks about growing up, not in some ways, but in every way. Verse 16 talks about how the body is made to grow and that it builds itself up in love over and over and over again in these verses. The growth of the church is talked about. We can't escape it. And again, I I think that in part he is talking about numerical growth, that the church would grow in number. We've seen that play out in history. We've seen that even play out locally, not in just people who sign a membership tab, but in those who are captivated by the person of Christ, who are trusting in Him and following Him in faith. That number has increased from the first century to today. But I think specifically when we look at this, the growth is not just a numerical growth, but the growth is a spiritual development growth in each of us. And not just each of us individually, but each of us collectively as a part of the one body. God has created you, and God has created me, and God has saved you, and God has saved me in Christ with the expectation that we would grow in Him. Now, what does that growth look like? Well, verse 13 has a collection of phrases inside of it that let us know what this this growth. Looks like. And he mentions them in 13 and then he illustrates them in 14 through 16. And I want to just walk through the picture of what this growth looks like. What does it look like to grow spiritually? Paul lets us know what, what it looks like. The first thing that it looks like as we grow is that there is a unity in the knowledge of the Son. We see that in the first part of verse 13. He says, Until we all attain to the unity, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. There is unity that happens as we lift Christ up and we gather around him together. See what makes us unified is, is not our personality and it's not our own personal ideas. What makes us unified is when Jesus is at the center. Only Jesus can take people from all different races and languages and backgrounds and unite them together inside of one body. And so what Paul says is there's an expectation as Christ is lifted up, one of the things that will happen is there will be increasing unity as people get to know Jesus better. When at the center of the church is the Word of God and the the Word of God living, the Son of God, Jesus, when those are at the center, there is unity that develops inside of the church over time. The opposite of that is illustrated in verse 14. If the church is centered around opinion, if the church is, is, is centered around personality and human cunning, then what will happen is unity will not develop, unity will fracture because people will be a part of this camp or that camp. But when Christ is at the center, then unity is possible inside of the church. Paul says that one of the things that we should expect is we should be truthing one another. It's translated here in the ESV, speaking the truth in love. I think that the original language really just means truthing in love, that the truth is what wins the day inside of the the church. Truth as revealed in the Word of God. Truth as revealed in the Son of God. When we lift those things up, it's possible for us to have unity together. Paul says one of the expressions of growth will be an increasing knowledge of the Son that will bring unity inside of the church. A second demonstration, though, is maturity inside of the body of the Son. Now, we see this in the second... Part of verse 13 when he talks about maturing to manhood. Again, this idea of maturing to manhood is is illustrated for us in the second part of verse 15 where it talks about growing up in every way into Him who is our head into Christ. What that's talking about is the the development of somebody in their relationship with Jesus and us collectively in our relationship with Jesus, that we're growing more and more into him in every way in our lives over time. You know, when when Josh was three pounds and he was in the NICU, he's grown physically over that time. We saw that in the picture. But friends, I can tell you that he's not just grown physically, he's grown spiritually He's come to place his faith in Christ, and we celebrate that. He's grown in his ability to serve others, no longer just crying when he needs something, but able to to be a blessing to his family and to those around him and to serve in different areas. He's going to serve at VBS in a couple of weeks. I'm not trying to blow your head up here, son, but what what I'm saying is it's been awesome for us to see that growth happens not just in one area but in, in many areas or in every area. And in the same way, what Paul says is, As we are growing in our relationship with Christ, we're not just a one-issue person. It's not just about this one area of our lives, but we should expect growth across the board, not necessarily at the same time or at the same pace, but over time, all of the different areas of our life are being transformed and shaped by the person of Jesus Christ. When He is our head, we are growing up into Him. We are being shaped in our character as He is. Third thing that we see beyond maturity in the body, but we also see a measuring, the stature of the Son of God. Now, this is a remarkable idea. Again, we see this phrase mentioned at the end of verse 13. We see it play out in verse 16 where, where He talks about the body working and demonstrating love. I think this is the idea, that Jesus has spread out His Spirit and the gifts into us collectively. As a people, so that when we get together, there is a more full expression of the Son of God than if we were just alone there 's insight that we would get there 's experience that, that would help us understand, and when we gather together as a church family, there is a fullness in the measure of the stature of Christ that is not found alone. see what we what we see referenced here is that growth in maturity. Is, is measured in, in unity around the truth, around the Son of God. It's is found in maturity in all of the areas of our life, growing in increasing dependence upon Jesus and obedience to Him. And, and it's found in a, a, a measure that is collective of the full stature of the Son of God as we come together. The ministry that He wants to do happens collectively, not just individually. And that's what a mature and growing church looks like. Now, what do we do to apply that idea in our lives? How does it look like in our life? If that's the principle in Ephesians 4, what does it look like for you? What does it look like for me? Well, one of the things that I think we need to acknowledge is this. We need to acknowledge that God wants you to grow. Let that sink in. God desires that you, you would grow. Insert your name. God desires that you would grow. It's not just God's desire that you trusted Christ at church camp years ago, and then you're just going to kill time for the next few decades until you're in glory. God's desire is that your soul is growing in dependence upon him. That's God's desire. His desire is not that you would be saved and then go do your own thing. His desire is that you would grow together as a part of a church family. That's God's desire for you, and that's God's desire for me. That's true whether you have been disconnected from Christ For your entire life or even for a number of decades as you're here today, know that God's desire for you is that you would grow. And it's also true for those of you who are here today who are coming into this morning riding a wave of growth, just excitement in the things that you've been seeing the Lord do. Guess what? There's more even still. God's desire is that you would grow. My question is, in what area does God want to grow you next? Great question to ask as you... Spend time in prayer, reflecting on this time together today. God's desire is that you grow. In this growth, friends, is going to be demonstrated in a variety of ways, and we need to think about this also as it relates to application. One of the ways that it will be demonstrated is in a growing knowledge. If we're going to have unity around the sun, we need to know who the sun is. And one of the applications would be for you to get into God's Word to to read it. Pick up your Bible this summer and begin to read. Read. Mark's gospel, read John's gospel if, if you're just getting started or participate in a Bible reading plan of some kind. Getting involved in reading God's word helps us have unity together because we're gathering around the person of Jesus Christ. It may begin there. And you know what? That's the application you would expect from me. I mean, at Wildwood, regularly, we talk about the word of God and its importance. But it's interesting that that's not where this ends, he doesn't say, just get to know a bunch more stuff. He, he says, gather around this knowledge, but then he continues on after that, and he, he talks about a number of other things. He talks about unity that is demonstrated, not just unity that's talked about, but unity that is demonstrated inside of the church. If we're created to, to have the full measure of the stature of God as we come together, then, then are you connecting inside of the church? Are you a part of making it a pattern to, to worship regularly as a church family? Are you part of a small group? See, those are expressions of being a part of that. Are you using your gifts and serving? We'll talk more about that in a moment. But not just unity that is talked about, but unity that is demonstrated. The third idea is the love that is shown. As we gather The love of Jesus is to flow through us into the lives of those around us. Our our standard for love is not do unto others as we want them to do unto us. Our standard is do unto others as Jesus has done unto us. It's an incredibly high standard. But by the Spirit's empowerment, we can seek to live that kind of a love and sacrifice for others out in real time inside of the church. What, What does it look like for us to grow? It looks like us growing in our knowledge and demonstrating our unity and showing love to others. See, this is the growth that is built inside of you and inside of me. But how is it that that growth matures? How is it that it is is realized? It's interesting that that this growth that is built inside of us is intended to, to show up as we live out our lives inside of the environment of the church. And by church, I don't mean just these four walls. By church, I mean the gathering of God's people. As we grow spiritually, we, we grow in the environment of the church, and we see that inside of this passage. And I want to just go back to where I began with the illustration of Josh and the NICU. You know, again, God created the, the possibility for physical growth and spiritual growth and emotional growth inside of Josh. The doctors and the nurses merely created an environment where that could happen at its normal and natural progression. And in the same way, when we think about the church, God has built into the church the ability to grow. He forgave us in Christ. He empowered us with the Spirit. He invited us into a relationship with Him that would go on forever and ever. But the way that God has provided for that growth to materialize and to develop over time is in the environment of the church where gifted people are around us ministering God's grace to us day by day. We see this in the first part of the verses that we read in verses 7 on down through verse 13. What we see here is this this picture of the descension and the ascension of Jesus. Now, when you read that, that, that can make your head spin, right? There's a lot of words in there. Ascension, descension, what's he talking about? This is the picture of these verses, It is the picture of of Jesus who has existed eternally in heaven, came down and descended to the earth and was born in in Bethlehem and lived a life on this earth for 30 plus years demonstrating the holiness of God and showing us who God is. But at the end of that earthly life, he, he died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins and when he died on the cross, he descended even deeper into the earth as he was placed into the grave, but he didn't stay there. But he ascended from the grave and then ascended back to heaven. And the picture of Ephesians 4 is one of a conquering general. So I would think of it this way. In the ancient world, there were, when, a, when a general would go out and fight and win a victory, he would come back victorious. So let's just imagine that we are a country and Jake is our general. And Jake leads our troops out to battle. And they go out to battle, and they win the fight. When they come back from battle, Jake would be leading the parade. In the ancient world, this is the way it would look. Jake would be leading the parade, and we would be cheering his victory. And behind Jake in a parade would be the spoils of war coming back from that area. The the best and the brightest, the the prisoners and the captives behind him being brought back to serve us. And in that procession in the ancient world, there was one who was a victor, and there were many who were losers, and it was evident inside of this parade. And that's the picture that we see in Ephesians chapter 4, only with a dramatic twist. See, the picture we get in Ephesians 4 is that Jesus descended to the earth, and he won the victory of our souls. And then he ascends back to heaven in a parade. And behind him are those that he captured, or better, those who have been captivated by him, those who have trusted in Christ, you and me. We're in a parade, a procession behind him, moving towards heaven. But what happens to us in that progression between the moment of salvation and our entrance into glory is that something amazing happens. Jesus gives us gifts. He fills us in the language of this passage. And then he sends us back to congregations to equip everyone around us to do the work of the ministry. See, Jesus doesn't take us as the spoils of war. He gifts us of his blessing and sends us back to congregations like this one, And invites us to be a part of his work here for the rest of our lives. Isn't that amazing? Now, as he equips people and gives them back to the churches as gifts, who are those people that he gives back to the church as gifts? Well, we see a number of them referenced here in verse 11. Some of them historical figures, and some of them contemporary expressions. Some of them itinerant in their ministry and some of them who are investing long-term in a particular place. The first set of people that are gifted and given back to the church are the apostles and the prophets, he says in verse 11. He gave apostles and the prophets back to the church. Now, what's he talking about? Well, if you remember back a few weeks ago, at the beginning of this series, we saw this phrase, apostles and prophets, back in Ephesians chapter 2. When we saw it in Ephesians 2, what we acknowledged at that time was the apostles and the prophets, a part of the foundation of the church, was talking about those gifted in the first century that provided us the testimony of Jesus in the New Testament. And what we see here in chapter 4 is that That gift of the New Testament through the apostles and the prophets is a gift that is given to all of the churches so that we might be equipped to do the work of the ministry. So when we look at the Bible and we see the New Testament, it's as if we need to imagine that we're opening up a package. And when we open that package and we look inside, look, there's there's Peter. In the works of 1 Peter and 2 Peter, or through his influence, the, the gospel of Mark, or we see John the Apostle and the testimony that he gave in the gospel of John and First, Second, and Third John, they're gifts that were given to the church, the apostles and the prophets, gifts given to us to equip us to do the work of the ministry. When we see the New Testament, we've got to be thankful to God for that gift. But he goes on and says, more than just the gifts for these historical figures of apostles and prophets, but he also talks about the gift to the church being evangelists. These are those that had an itinerant ministry, those that went ahead, that helped share the gospel in places. Though all of us are given the task of sharing the gospel with those around us, there are some who have special equipping for that task. I think about Zach and Jennifer Maltan or down in Mexico or Cap Moy in, in Europe or even locally, people like Mark Burgett. Um, Tony Baker, who stood here a couple of weeks ago and invited us to be a part of the ministry um, with Grace Home. They're, they're gifts that God has given back to the church to help equip us for the work of the ministry. When we interact with somebody with a gift of evangelism, we, it's like a package that we open up and we go, oh, thank you, Lord, for forgiving us, this gifted person, to inspire us to follow you in the areas of evangelism, to, to follow you in the areas of obedience to the call of the New Testament Scriptures, the gifts that Jesus gave the church. But he continues on, not just those from history and not just those with an itinerant ministry, but he, he continues on and he talks about those who are shepherds and who are teachers. Now, when we see that, it could also be translated pastors and teachers. Translated in the ESV, shepherds and teachers. It also could be translated pastors and teachers. It's interesting. This is the only use of the word pastor in terms of a noun form in the New Testament, referring to a person gifted for ministry inside of the church. The other uses of the word pastor are in a noun form, or are referring to either Jesus himself or somebody who takes care of animals, somebody who's a shepherd of animals. But the idea is that God has has equipped certain people with, with a gift of leadership or with the gift of, of teaching. And he gives them to every congregation to help people grow and learn to follow Christ in a deeper way. That's the picture of Ephesians 4. And, and at Wildwood, we have some who are, who are shepherds and who are leaders, who are pastors, who serve in a vocational way around Wildwood. Just some of those who serve in that way here at Wildwood, we have Brian Hayes, our adult pastor, John Abernathy, our care pastor, Greg Hill, our worship pastor, Brooke Harrison, our children's pastor, and Jonathan Holmes, our student pastor. They're they're people who God has equipped and gifted with leadership gifts, shepherding gifts, and in other instances, teaching gifts, and he's given back to the church that we might be equipped More to do the work of the ministry. And when we interact with them, again, it's like opening a present. Thank you, Lord, for giving us these leaders. But not only is it those who work in a vocational way at Wildwood who are gifted in this way, but there are many others who have been gifted with gifts of of shepherding, leadership, and teaching who have been given to the local church. I think about Stan and Cheryl Sherman who have for years been shepherding and teaching and leading through the Home Builders Sunday Morning Group here at Wildwood. They're gifts that God has has given to us to equip us to do the work of the ministry. I think about Janice Short and Joyce Harwell and their their gifts that God has given to Wildwood to help shepherd and and to guide and to teach inside of our, our women's ministry. I think about our small group leaders, people like Doug and Paula Williams, that God has given to Wildwood to help shepherd and to guide. We're so thankful. Those are just expressions. I'm not trying intentionally to leave anybody out, just letting you know that God has given Wildwood many gifts of people. And and, and think about this. Those gifts are given, again, for the purpose of equipping us to do the work of the ministry. That's why they're here, not just so we can fill out an orc chart. They're here as servants, given by God, gifts to help equip each and every one of us to do the work of the ministry. Now, when we see that list and we see these things, it's important for us to realize that not every gift is referenced. We see listed in a few of the kinds of gifts that people have in shepherding and teaching and evangelism, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 would mention a number of other gifts. It's not a comprehensive list. And also, there's no mention of offices here inside of this passage. As a matter of fact, there are um, there, there is an office that is referenced for the New Testament church in other parts of Scripture that's not even mentioned here, and that's the office of elder or overseer. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, the Apostle Paul says to Titus, I want you to establish in every church that you plant and establish, I want you to put elders in each of those congregations to help oversee the ministry that happens there. And at Wildwood, we take that passage of Scripture very seriously, and we have a group of elders who help oversee the ministry here at Wildwood. Uh, some of them are vocational, myself and Bruce Hess, uh, who are vocational in that way, but also a number of other men uh, here shown with their wives who serve as elders here at Wildwood. There are 11 elders that serve in a rotating way here at Wildwood, providing that overarching care. Now, one of the things that you'll notice, as I mentioned, shown here with their wives, it's not a requirement that they are married, but it is a requirement that they are men. And that's not a Wildwood rule. We believe that is a God revelation rule that's mentioned to us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 12, where it talks about not permitting a woman to teach or have authority over a man. We understand that in context to refer to the office of elder. But again, what is the office of elder for? Gifts given to the church that the church might grow and be edified grow spiritually, and that each of us, regardless of gender, would employ the gifts that God has given us to grow the body of Christ. This is the picture that we see of the church inside of these passages. And you know what's what's great? The commitment that Jesus gives to the church in this is that he says, I'm going to keep giving these gifts to the church until maturity happens. Look at what it says in verse 13, the beginning of verse 13. He says he's going to give these gifts... Verse 13 says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. He's going to keep sending those gifts. That's the commitment that Jesus has given to the church. That's a commitment he's given to you and me. That's how serious he is about us growing in our relationship with him. I want to just mention a couple of applications before we wrap up in light of these ideas One of the applications that I want you to know is this. You are God's gift to Wildwood. Now, that is cheesy to say. I know it, okay? You guys have hung in there for a long time today. That's a cheesy thing to say, but it's nonetheless true. When I read Ephesians 4 and I see the picture of people being captivated by Christ, equipped by the Spirit of God for ministry, and sent back to the church, what that reminds me of is that reminds me of you, And it reminds me of what God wants to do through you here. And if that's the case, then what that means is that God wants you to be engaged and involved in ministry even now, that you would steward and and do the work of the ministry, that God would use you and you would see lived out this building up of one another in Christ. And many of you are already doing that. You understand how God has wired you and you are pouring out your gifts in ministry to others. But for others of you, you're on the sidelines right now wondering if now's the time to jump in. It's kind of like a jump rope, right? And you're kind of watching it. Is now the time to get in? Is now the time to get in? Is now the time to get in? Friends, now is the time to get in. What does it mean to get in? I don't know because it's unique. God has given gifts to all of you differently. But here's what I would say. If you want to get involved and you're not sure how, take your bulletin today and write on that information tab that you're interested in serving and drop it by the Welcome Center after our service is over or bring it up to the front and give it to me. And we will follow up with you and find out how the Lord has gifted you because we believe you are God's gift. The wild